This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am sitting here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. And Susan is super excited about our topic today. But uh, Susan, why don't you let the people know how they can reach you, and then we'll get into the topic of the day. Hey, Paul. So nice to be here and talking to everybody. You can find me at my website, drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter uh, uh, at, at @powereat and Facebook, Dr. Susan Kleiner. Find my books, The New Power Eating, The Good Mood Diet, all that at my website and at uh, bookstores everywhere. And uh, I am Paul Nobles, obviously the founder of Eat Perform, and uh, you can, if you're interested in joining Eat Perform, just go to www.eatperform.com, and uh, yeah, we can we can obviously help you. And then a, a lot of what we're going to talk about today will actually walk you through how the Eat Perform program works. And so. Um, by the way, uh, our last podcast, I would highly recommend everyone to listen to. It was about running, but in effect, it was really much more than running. It was about how your body adapts. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But at the end of the day, um, there was just so many great things covered and, and we got a lot of great feedback and, and it's been one of the more popular podcasts that we've done in a while. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to that because it's really good and you will always get the newest one. If you, what is it like, and subscribe, it's like, there's all these formats now, um, whether it be Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, whatever, but we're available pretty much anywhere. Okay. So what, the topic of today is how basically you need to cycle through uh, really most anything. And we walked over that in the, in the running part. And we talked a little about it as it related to weightlifting and running and, and deloads and things of this nature. But what I don't think that people realize, at least the majority of people, the way that they set up a diet is not the way that we set up a diet. It's not the way that Susan's been setting up diets for many years, right? Or I don't even know what, I mean, is it fair to say that they're diets? Because really you're, you're kind of working people that are tend to be more active. You'll probably um, add in cycles when they're in off season. Is that fair to say? Correct. And so, um, you know, when you look at how that works, you know, there's a lot of people that will be listening to this podcast and she goes, well, yeah, for, you know, Olympic athletes, of course that works, right? But, you know, what we've now shown through thousands of members is that it actually works for all of you as well, right? And there's some complications as it relates to that. And I'll, I'll get into that as the podcast goes. But why don't we walk through kind of just like the simple piece and just like of, of how cycles work, why they're important. And, and then I can get maybe some more specifics as we go. So the, the beauty of cycling is that your body 
always wants to, and this we did talk about in running, the body wants to find what we call in science and biology homeostasis. The body wants to find its center where everything is working uh, as much in balance as possible. And so when you put the body out of balance, trying to gain or lose, um, trying to get bigger, faster, stronger, or lean out, it will find its plateau. Uh, you can progress to a certain point and then lots of things can happen. You can overstress the body and you halt progress. Or if you are under fueling, your body will just slow itself down even tiny bits. I mean, these are not huge amounts but just enough to slow or even halt progress, depending on how much of a deficit you've put yourself in. Um, th that's why very early on in my career, um, I adopted the concept of periodized nutrition to mirror or otherwise really support uh, Dr. Tudor Bumpa's program of periodized training for strength, strength training, uh, bodybuilding, muscle building. Uh, it was a, he's kind of the father of that kind of training where you cycle through heavy lifting periods, lighter lifting periods, where you're, you just have different goals in mind to continue to allow for further adaptations in other areas that continue to support your goals. That is the way the body works almost no matter what you're trying to accomplish. And so when we are in a weight loss or a fat loss or a cutting mode, cycling is super important and having the long view, recognizing that you won't go from zero to a hundred in a couple of weeks. And if you try, you will probably um, sabotage your long-term goals. So that's what I love about what Paul does and Eat to Perform does is that's just the program. And it's quite rare in the sort of um, weight loss or diet programming world. Uh, we do it certainly individually in the high levels of consulting, but, but what, what Eat to Perform does is so science and evidence-based and it's why it works, but you got to follow the plan. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that will hear what you're saying. And I would argue that actually from, from what we're doing, that there's, there's a much bigger audience, right, for cycling, right? Um, or really, we're going to get into not just cycling, but but the the changes that need to happen as you're setting up a deficit. Now, part of the problem that you're going to run into is that if you're doing this alone, you're almost going to always going to do it wrong. Right. And this is, you know, so so what Susan was saying was that we're sort of unique in this regard in terms of it's just our program. 
there are other programs that talk about reverse dieting, but the problem is, is they leave it to the client, right? And so what the client does Okay. is now once again you know if you're buying a really super high level coach like susan they're going to make you do this right and and you know we're really the first from a standpoint of just general population and applying it to general population and there are some some issues with that right and we'll we'll talk about how that can become a bit of an issue but at the same time even as results maybe diminish as you go or something of this nature, right? As you get older, right? You're at a much more of an advantage as it relates to a lot of these cycles as you're younger. But it doesn't mean that you need to be paralyzed, right? And so what I want to walk uh, people through right now or have you walk people through right now is total daily energy expenditure, right? We've talked about this many times but this is the problem that I would say automated systems run into and things of this nature, because there are some automated systems out there. And then what you find is that people end up being in these really long deficits for six to nine months. They're banging their head against the wall and they're scared to death to add any type of calories at all, right? And so when they do add calories, they might add 200 to 300, but the one day that their weight spikes up like 0.5, you know, they're done with that and they go back to the lowest calories, right? <laughs> so right. it's like, it's like, I mean, I know it's funny, but, but it really is. Well, not, no, it's it, just, I'm just, you know, chuckling people are creating it's so like true. Yeah. Yeah. People are creating like their own prison, right? And they don't realize it. And they don't realize that their body's actually much more dynamic, Right. And so why don't you walk through TDE because there's a lot of different ways that, that people calculate TDE and meaning total daily energy expenditure. But what all, all consistently are much higher than 200 calories, right? <laughs> um, and so, so you'll see people that get down to a deficit of let's say 1100 calories and you add 200 calories and they go, yeah, my maintenance is, is, is 1300 calories. I'm like, no, it's not, not even close. Right. And science tells us this. So why don't you walk people through total daily energy expenditure? So the, the, for most people, your largest energy expenditure is your resting energy expenditure for most people, not the people I work with who are, um, physically active all day long, or people who do physical labor um, as their job. But for the, the, the average individual who has a desk job, um, their, their resting energy expenditure makes up somewhere around, a, depending on your age and, and your height, and there's all things that are associated with that, you know, your, your age, perhaps your gender, your lean body mass, um, those types of things will impact your resting energy expenditure. And it will, you know, height and weight will range from maybe 1100 calories for a, a small person uh, to 
you know, 14, 1500 calories, even 1600 to 1700 calories, depending on, on the size and lean mass and all of that of an individual. It can go even slightly higher, but typically not a lot higher. So that is foundational. That means below that, you are not meeting your body's needs to maintain its health all day long. Um, keeping immune system at, at optimal functioning, cardiovascular system, reproductive system, all the systems in the body, bone mineral metabolism, um, uh, your, your, your brain and your nervous system. Uh, that's what it takes to drive that, all those systems on a daily basis. And it means that all you do is get up from bed in the morning and you go to the bathroom and you sit back down. You don't eat, you don't do anything else. Just to sit there, that is what you will burn all day long, doing nothing else. Then you have your energy associated with exercise or activity. And for very sedentary people, maybe you only burn an extra 100 to 200 calories. If you actually really do nothing else, except sit. Um, for others who do physical exercise, of course, you know that that can range it to from, you know, 300 to 400 up to 1000 or more calories a day, depending on your organized physical activity, your exercise. Then we have something called the thermic effect of food, which means that every time you eat, you actually raise your metabolic rate. And there's an additional 10% of a caloric burn that you get uh, in your favor <laughs> uh, for just for eating. And then finally, we have what we call this sort of non-exercise um, thermogenesis and NEAT, we call it. And that's the movements that we do that we are unaware of all day long, uh, twitching, um, you know, shaking a leg, pacing, all kinds of things that people do, shaking a pencil, uh, swirling around in your desk chair, things that actually take energy that we are unconscious of doing. And those will range from a couple calories a day, depending on the person, as high as in some people, 300 calories a day. Now that is pretty maxed out. So that is everything that comprises our energy metabolism. And as I said, the things that are kind of foundational to that are your age, your height and weight, your gender and your lean body mass. And most significantly really is your lean body mass. That is the greatest indicator of your resting metabolic rate. And so given those two summaries, right, of homeostasis and total daily energy expenditure, the synopsis is that as you go up, your metabolism increases for various reasons, right? Um, are you frozen? As you, as you, no, no. As you go up, as you go up in what? As your calories are going up. As your calories as you're go more. up. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so the trick then is if you want to be really well fueled so that all of your systems are running optimally and burning all the calories they have the potential to burn, then your goal 
is to lose weight at the highest calorie level, not the lowest calorie level. And that's what Eat to Perform does so well. So that's where I really wanted to get into it because, you know, one of the things that people don't realize, so Susan already talked about this, as, as you lower calories, there's this slow degradation as it relates to metabolism, as it relates to energy expenditure, right? And people don't often connect the fact that as you take energy in, it naturally affects energy out, right? And so that's why at your lowest in a diet, kind of hard to get off the couch i mean you might be able to push yourself for a little bit but as the the um as the weight is not coming off as you know you're pushing it so as an example let, let's just you know these are common examples right so you've got somebody that they're cutting and they're at 1100 calories and they're doing 20,000 steps a day if you're stuck Basically, your body has adapted to 20,000 steps a day and 1,100 calories, right? And so it's, it's pushed down. And so a lot of people will look at that and go, well, I guess I'm done, <laughs> you know, the, and then they don't really know what to do. Like I'll often have people say to me, you know, um, that, you know, they feel paralyzed or imprisoned by this. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't feel in prison. First of all, you have many options, almost all of which you've not considered, right? And, uh, you know, when you start to mention bringing food back, it feels counterintuitive. But Susan just explained to you, right, that as you move food back, there's many things that kick back into function. There's another thing that a lot of people don't consider is as your calories are lower, specifically if your carbohydrates are lower, then you're open to having cortisol being a little bit higher as a result. And so this can often affect your sleep for a lot of reasons, right? So, you know, I always, you know, I, I used to operate on very low sleep and didn't think I was affected at all, right? And now, you know, if I sleep eight to nine hours, you know, I feel like Superman, which I'm sure everybody goes, yes, we all feel better when we have more sleep. But but I'm not pointing out the one instance where on a Saturday you slept more. I'm saying that if you could build in your diet to be appropriately fed, right? When, when we talk about total daily energy expenditure, Susan kind of gave you the framework, but a lot of people, and, and I'm trying to attach real numbers to this because I want people to understand that part of the problem that they have, they're, they're causing themselves and that they, they actually have had the key all along, right? And so um, if we look at somebody who is at 1100 and then they bump up to say 1300 and then their, their scale weight you know, let's say in that process, let's put some real numbers to it. Let's say in that process, they lost 20 pounds, but they feel like they have 40 pounds to lose, right? What happens in that scenario is that they might actually gain a little bit of weight, 
right? Most of it ends up being sort of fluctuation, right? Part of the way that we do it, actually, you know, as much as Susan knows about our program, there are things that are specific that she doesn't necessarily know. And so we have two lower days a week, right? That tend to be kind of, uh, they're modeled off of low carb, but, but they tend to be mostly moderate carbs for most people. And then it, it just changes as the people's calories start to raise, right? But if you're in the groups that eat reform, pretty much everyone, you know, hates their low day. And, and unless they're totally new, right? Because the new people come from the diet mindset. And so they love low days, right? Because it's the one day that are, their calories are lower like they used to be, you know, and they're comforted by what their calories used to be. And part of the reason, and I'm not saying this in an accusatory way, I'm just explaining it to you the way it is. When you're under eating, you don't feel pressure to go to the gym. You don't feel pressure to go get off the couch and go for a walk. And that's actually one of the reasons why people struggle as their calories are coming down a lot of the time, right? They give themselves a pass. They don't feel like they have the energy. And then what ends up happening is their body sort of adjusts to to that also, right? And so that's when people will go, well, I'm broken or, you know, my hormones might be messed up. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't have anything to do. I mean, it has some things to do with those things, but, but those things tend to be kind of on the slower, smaller side, as opposed to actually bringing calories up. So when we talk about total daily energy expenditure and you add up your need and you add up, you know, uh, your, uh, your activity and you add up all these different things. And oh, by the way, we talk about this all the time. We certainly talked about it last week is that if you're looking to keep weight off, activity is a really important piece of that. Right. And, you know, this is one thing I really dislike about some programs that almost kind of poo poo, you know, the role of activity, you know, I, I feel like they're, you know, um, putting people in a bad spot, right? Because they're not allowing them to ever consider that calories might normalize. And trust me, you know, what we're talking about here is not a concept that most programs have in place. Like, for instance, Weight Watchers, which, you know, actually the new Weight Watchers, I don't kind of hate. But the Weight Watchers as a whole in their system that they've not been able to address for 60 years, right? And that whole is that they don't normalize calories, right? And so if you don't normalize calories, basically all you're doing is setting people up to fail, right? And so, um, and there, you know, uh, like I said, there's a lot good about what's going on with Weight Watchers, right? But if they really wanted to address the real problem, they really need to start addressing normalizing calories. And I'm not talking about just playing, you know, well, you know, you do want to go to maintenance for a bit. It's like, well, okay, where's your system for maintenance, right? The system for eat to perform is where, and, and I actually, you know, Susan and I get into it and from a scientific standpoint, she's correct and related to maintenance. But my argument with maintenance is, if you just change one thing, you've changed maintenance, 
right? And so when we talk about homeostasis, everyone wants to talk about homeostasis as it relates to a plateau, but no one wants to talk about homeostasis as it relates to a surplus, right? And I can tell you for fact, you know, we've had athletes that, you know, push that side of things to the point where you'll see a 120 pound woman, you know, I had, I had a Olympic athlete one time um, that, uh, you know, was a weightlifter, did almost no cardio at all. And she was eating 4,000 calories a day. Well, those 4,000 calories a day um, kind of took her from, you know, being above average to elite, you know, and then obviously to the Olympic level. Right. Um, and so what people don't realize is that they're putting on their own shackles. Right. And then, you know, this weekend I wrote an article about obesity and, and teens and things of this nature, trying to save young people from a lifetime of dieting. Right. And so I walked through the process of a young college student and she had lost 20 pounds and, you know, she called me back and thanked me. And I was like, okay, great. Now for the next five to six months, we're going to stay the same weight. And, and the thing that I like about young people that's different than, than people that have been on 40 different diets in their whole life is that they're open to hearing what you have to say, right? And luckily for us, we've had a lot of success. So people go, well, clearly they know what they're doing. But it's sometimes hard for people to get over that fear of what normal calories look like, right? And so when I say to someone that a client is eating 2,400 calories, if you're eating 1,100 calories, you think that that person's an alien. But you don't realize that that person is probably you, but you've not tested that higher homeostasis, right? You've just tested the lower homeostasis. So what happens is, is that the more you test the low part, the more your body adjusts to the low part. And that's when, you know, it just becomes like this thing that becomes physiologically hard for your body to fight against. Most of the people that are struggling at, let's say, 50, 55, hormones are not their problem. You know, um, it might be a little bit affected by some of the homeostasis from dieting for the last, you know, 20 to 30 years in some instances, but it really is more about not exploring what that top end looks like. And most importantly, what that top end looks like for a long period of time, right? The more your body can adjust to that top end number, right? Now you might have to fight, you know, your weight fluctuating because it's, it's very comforting when weight is low. It's very comforting when maybe you're not doing as much, right? But part of being human being is taking whatever abilities that you have and expressing them as much as you can, right? And so more food, you know, pushing homeostasis on the high side is really much more of the answer than you've ever considered. And then I know I've talked forever, but I'm going to bring up one different point. 
sometimes my athletes that are at those 4,000 calories or whatever, when we move to a deficit, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, how we do that and why we do it that way here in a second. But the, I'm going to put a number to it and, and I'll get your opinion on that. But, but let's say that someone's total daily energy expenditure is 2,400 calculated by whatever, right? But their calories are actually 4,000. So they're eating in somewhat of a surplus. And let's give it a scenario where maybe they're okay with gaining five pounds, right? So they're eating 4,000 calories. They're at a surplus. They have the potential now of building more muscle as a result, right? Because there's more energy coming in. So you're having raw materials that allow you to build that lean muscle and things of this nature. Obviously, for most people, they want to be recomping, right? They want to eat about 1,500 calories, 1,400 calories and thinking they're building muscle when in fact, you know, they have kind of that, you know, they, they never get full expression of muscle um, as it relates to those calories because the calories tend to be lower, right? So I'll hand it over to Susan. And so you can, I know there was a lot to cover there, but, um, uh, but I'm just going to end on saying that a lot of the time, if you're pushing homeostasis, you're building muscle and all this other stuff, right? What people want to do is go from that 4,000 number and then just gradually take 500 off. And I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but that puts you in like these really long dieting cycles. <clears throat> and it's my experience that most of those people have to kind of get through that 2,400 to 4,000, like relatively quickly. And then their deficits look really similar to what most people's deficits look like, right? If the goal is to get in, get the most result and then get out as quickly as possible and go back to not dieting for a long time, right? So I don't know if, if I've explained that appropriately, but like the part over the 2,400, people want to go, well, now my, my total daily expenditure is 4,000. I don't think your total daily energy expenditure, I mean, obviously it did change to that, especially if you're weight stable, but it, it's really more pushing that upper side of what you can do as a person, what you can eat as a person and how much muscle that you can put on, you know, that's being addressed on that side. And I, and I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough, but I, I hope I am because it's a really big part for someone that is pushing the performance side that actually does say, okay, now I want to see more of the muscle that I've built. So I, I, um, it's, it's the, such a good way to think about this whole concept of being the best that you can be when you are barely giving yourself enough to eat and you're trying to push yourself physically and push yourself mentally and push yourself emotionally, you'll never be the best that you can be. Um, you actually, it's, it's as if you are telling a bricklayer who is the best bricklayer in town to build you a beautiful home, but you actually don't have very many bricks. And 
And so they don't have the raw material that they need to build you a home. Um, your body is exactly the same body that an athlete has. And so we may talk about athletes because the examples are so dramatic. Um, changes can happen much more rapidly than in someone who doesn't consider themselves an athlete or isn't using their body as their vehicle to fund themselves um, financially. But, but all of us are human. All of us have the same raw material. Getting the right guidance to say, I, if I want to optimize everything that I'm doing in mind and body, I really do need to be at the top of my fueling game. I need to fully fuel my body. Because what we have learned is that when you are in big deficits, when you're just operating at that 1200 calorie diet that most diet plans put you on, as a standard, you're just, you're just a stick figure to them. I mean, there's no let's figure out individually what your needs are. They may, you may input your personal information, but it doesn't go anywhere. You just get their standard diet. If it's 1200 calories, and I just told you that most people need at least 1200 calories at least, and it's probably less than what they need just to keep all their systems going. How can you possibly perform beyond that, number one? But that whole foundational system suffers. So your basic calorie burn lowers before you even got out of bed in the morning, before you even ate anything. So, so the concept of fueling at the top, filling the tank all the way to the top, not trying to balance how little your body can burn, but to figure out how much your body can burn. That's what we're talking about. So when you've exercised always under fueling yourself, you have no idea how athletic you could actually be. You have no idea how much brain power you may have. You may have no idea how much emotional capital you've actually got because you never have been able to fill the well to the top and find out. Uh, that's what, that's what, um, Paul is talking about, that's what I do. And when we say building muscle, it doesn't mean becoming muscle bound, unless that's what you want. If that's what you want, we can help you do that. But if you want to be more fit, more toned, physically stronger, be able to, I remember my first experience of going from being a, a modern dancer, which was my sport, uh, young and training as a dancer to starting to do bodybuilding training, real strength and power training before I started my PhD, which was specifically doing research on competitive bodybuilders. When I first started lifting, I lived in a fourth store, four story walk up uh, apartment and I had to walk up all four stories and I had to carry my groceries and I would have to go up twice. I'd carry, I was carry two bags. I couldn't carry both bags all the way up. I'd have to sort of go up and down and up and down to get 
heavy grocery bags all the way to the top. And once I started lifting, I didn't become muscle bound, but I became so much stronger. I was so much more functional in my daily life. I felt physically powerful, which made me mentally powerful. I could carry those bags all the way to the top of the spring in my step. And, and it, cha- it was life changing. Uh, when you have enough fuel to really fuel your training and to the max and get all the way to your exer- to the end of your exercise time, even if, it, if it's only an hour, really well fueled, that you're not fatigued halfway in and the last 30 minutes are kind of a looking at your watch, waiting for it to end or yakking to your trainer to get them to slow down. Um, your outcome from all that exercise gets a payoff and fueling yourself to maximize everything that you do, you know, thinking from the top um, is, is so much healthier, life extending, increasing quality of life, feeling better about yourself. It changes everything. And so again, Eating as much as you can eat and get to your goals versus eating the least amount that you can eat just makes much more sense scientifically, as well as just thinking about living life that way just sounds like a lot more fun. Well, it is a lot more fun, but but there's a lot of people that are listening to this right now that are going it's really not about the fun for me. It's really not about being the best version for me. It's really about losing this weight, right? And so so they're kind of caught up in that way. Just trust me as we're explaining this to you, we're, we have that in mind, right? And, and I'm going to go over that here in this next part, but I wanted to address a few things that Susan said. So even in the dancing world, right? So ballerinas, as an example, noted to have starved and you know and it was interesting because we talked about the Mary Kane issue with Nike in the last one there was another documentary that I saw where um, ballerinas were, were actually eating more and performing better and things of this nature and so it kind of fits with a little bit of what you're talking about but some of the old institutions you know they, they're just hard to kind of lose that whole, you know, if we can push it this far, you know, maybe we could push it a little bit farther. And a lot of coaches view that as their role, right? Where they're going to push the person past where they're comfortable. Well, at the end of the day, I think you get more from someone when they're comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than when they're not comfortable, right? And so when we say the best, what I want you to hear as the listener, it's not about being the best. It's about giving you the most options, right? And we're no different in this regard, but we are different in the way that we use it. And so it's important to hear this. When you are pushing food, we're not pushing food just so you feel better, right? Just so that you you know, your brain functions better. It does. Your sleep functions better. It does, right? All these things, right? So you're, you're willing to go, oh, these are all the things I will sacrifice just to reach my end goal, right? 
So let's continue on the scenario that we talked about earlier. Right? So this person lost 20 pounds. She's at really super low calories and uh, wants to go an additional 45, but, but doesn't have the math to get there, right? She will never get there doing what she's doing right now, right? right? So, so you have to cycle it so that you can get to the other. And like I said, you know, if you were super aggressive, because what happens for a lot of uh, places is they don't do what I'm about to tell you how it works. And what ends up happening is that the first five to 10 pounds are easy. The next 10 pounds are really super difficult, but the whole time you were eating 1100 calories, right? And so you weren't really using all the tools available to you that you could have, right? So that's what I mean by when we start you off and we're reversing and we're not dieting for a really long time, right? Maybe you had dieted, right? So maybe if you came to eat reform, like I said, we're doing what everyone else is doing in that instance, but we're guessing probably with a little bit more information than most people have, right? Because, you know, obviously if you're just the standard place or macro calculator, most people are going to have their calories as low as possible, as quick as possible, so they could in theory get back to normal, right? And that's what keeps failing them because they're, they're going too aggressive, too fast. They didn't start with the most options, right? But the thing that makes Eat to Perform unique and, and, and so different than anyone else is that that first deficit, that first fat loss cycle you did, it, it might be good, right? You might have been over consuming things of this nature. But that second one that you do six months later, nine months later, or whatever, we're working off of exact data, right? Exact data right. that we pushed you. Right. Right? So think about the way that most coaches push you. They push you past your comfort zone when you're underfed, undersleeping, things of this nature. We're pushing you so that you can have wine during date night, right? We're pushing you so that you're having carbohydrates around your workouts. We're making sure that calories are up. We're looking at your sleep, trying to get that normal, right? We're trying to do whatever we can to get all those little pieces that degrade as your calories lower. We try to bring all of them back so you're operating at a super high level. So what happens at that point when we're setting up a deficit and it, it works the same way, you know, if you're coming in and you were over consuming after the holiday or vacation went crazy or something of this nature, right? You were probably over consuming in that instance. And so if you get a result because you were over consuming in that instance, great, right? Um, but everyone kind of goes through that same process and that's how we assess where you are as a coach, right? So when we start you off, we're going to start you off at a, at a baseline to determine where you're at, right? So if, if as an example, um, for a man, you know, your, your baseline starts off at 21, 2200, depending on what your stats are, right? So if you lose weight, um, 
and maybe let's say that you were over consuming and you were you were consuming you know 4000 calories well at 2100 you should definitely lose weight the problem is is that your body's going to adjust right so after 2 to 3 2 to 3 weeks we're going to lower you again this is part of the cycling we're talking about there's two levels of cycling there's the cycling where we're pushing you on the side of, of food coming back once you're out of the fat loss cycle. And in theory, you want that to go as long as you possibly can. Now, what I will say is that if you do have a lot of weight to lose, you know, let's say that you're a 300 pound man. I've got really great news for you if you're a 300 pound man or a 250 pound woman. Not only will you lose weight, right? in that deficit if you were over consuming. Part of the issue is that many of the people that come to us as a 250 pound woman, they're eating 1100 calories. So, so it's, it gets really difficult to explain to them that, hey, we've got to go this other direction, even though you know they look in the mirror and go, well, I still have a lot of fat to lose. It's like, well, you've, you've wrung the towel as hard as you possibly can. But here's the good news. In that performance phase where food is coming back and you're, you're, you're much more comfortable getting off the couch. In fact, like Susan said, once energy comes back, your, your knees will sometimes start to knock, your, your leg will, because you, you get like this just amazing amount of energy as you're consuming food. This happens for a lot of people, it happens for me for certain, right? I mean, um, and so, so this is a good, this is a good point to, to mention. As I was going up the majority of the time, my calories were always over 5,000 calories, right? Now, at that time, I was working out more, but I think what happens is if you're a 300 pound man and you lose say 50 pounds, right? I mean, we see like that client lose a lot of weight relatively quickly. When you do that, your energy levels go through the roof, right? Because your body wants to get back to being fully functioning. And I'm not saying that's for everyone because some of us, have joint issues. I definitely have joint issues related to when I was obese. So I have to work around that. You know, I think one of the big things with like Peloton as an example, right, is that people are liking that because um, it's not as hard on their joints, right? And, and there was a part of my, you know, active life where spin was a big part of it, you know, especially as I was losing a lot of, a lot of weight. But I don't eat 5,000 calories now. I, I eat right at 3,500 calories. And my, my lowest day that I talked about earlier is about you know, 2,800, 2,900 calories, right? So the, the, the reason why the, the low day exists, uh, Susan, I'm sure you know this, but you know, really just trying to kind of clean out things. And so I always tell people like, don't focus on your weight in the five days when your calories are higher. You want to focus on those two lower days, right? And so, so when we are going through a fat loss cycle, I'll tell you as an example, the difference between fat loss one and fat loss two, because as, 
is something that that people are are really interested in. So fat loss one basically goes for six weeks. You will typically see up to um, two adjustments, right? As you well, three adjustments if you consider setting up the initial deficit, right? So basically, you know, right at about two weeks, we're looking at does this person need an adjustment? Well, if you're losing weight really well, we will often just let you go and then look at the, the next time. But as you start to slow, we tend to try to anticipate a little bit before you kind of hit that plateau, right? And so as we go lower, um, typically you're looking at, at two to three times. In fat loss one, a coach can take over and, and keep you going, right? If you're losing weight at just a drastic rate and you're doing great, not common. <laughs> just so you know, it's not common. Um, the, it, typically everyone stalls at pretty much the same rate, right? And uh, not saying that you know, especially in the case of a 300 pound man or a 250 pound woman, you will often see them have a little bit more runway if they came to us over consuming. Mm -hmm. If they came to us under consuming, it can get really frustrating. But like I said, we have the all everything in place to sort of fix that, right? As you go, right? Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that um, if time permits. But then what we do is after that six-week period, which like I said, fat loss one, six, six weeks, we, we try to kind of stick to that because we still have another six weeks that we can do after that. In between that six-week period, we have roughly three to four weeks where calories normalize again. And when I say normalize, we're getting you probably to where your TDE is or just a little bit under. If you were, let's say, consuming 4,000 calories, um, we're not trying to get you to 4,000 calories, right? We're just trying to get you back to what a good total daily energy expenditure would be. And then we set up that second deficit. I'm not sure if Susan is frozen or not, no. but I, it looks like she yeah. just came back. You were definitely frozen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so hopefully that didn't affect the podcast too much. Um, but I walked through the, the first six weeks of, of a deficit and how it has to adjust as you go. And the reason why it adjusts is because you have, um, you're using two tools, right? So at, at a higher number, you can still be active. You still have some energy. And, and then you also are at, at a deficit if you are over-consuming. Then after that six weeks, we set you up where you go back to total daily energy expenditure just a little bit less. We're not necessarily trying to normalize calories, um, but we're certainly uh, trying to get calories back to normal um, or close to normal as we can. And then we have the second. So in the second round of fat loss, typically the easy weight was fat loss one, right? And people get a lot of success. They get really motivated because, you know, weight's coming off and, and they're losing a lot of weight in fat loss too. It comes slower, right? Because, you know, we didn't necessarily push you for as long. Right. So I'm going to give an example here 
to give everyone the perspective. Because if I say this, I think it'll be obvious, but you might not think of it normally. Let's say that I get you to 2000 calories for two months, right? And I compare that to saying getting you at 2,500 calories for nine months, right? You might logically think there's really no big difference, but when you do the math, as it relates to how surpluses work, how you know total energy expenditure, what you start to see is that the nine-month people have so much more success than, than the two-month people. And you sort of have to play that by ear, right? Because you know, part of being a coach is we know that your end game is to lose weight we try to get some idea of what you think and why, right? Um, and then it's always in the back of our head that eventually you might want to do fat loss, right? But my client list, which is very small these days, um, we're constantly having talks about fat loss, you know, because I think what happens is, is if you don't have talks about fat loss, people think you naturally don't want them to ever have a fat loss cycle. And that's not correct, right? I have fat loss cycles, but what I've learned over time is that the more I can be out of a fat loss cycle, the more effective that fat loss cycle is. So do that math, right? And you'll see that the nine month person has so much more of a chance to actually reach their long-term goals. And what happens with the person that that's like 2000 or, you know what, let's do what, what most people that are reversing people. And I'm using air quotes for reversing is they take them from 1100 to 1500 calories. Right. <laughs> and then they didn't reach their goal. And then in a month and a half, they're in another fat loss cycle. Right. Well, all you're doing there is just rinsing and repeating. You're never going to see that, 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 you know, really lean look, you know, that you're seeing from, you know, a, a lot of people. And it's always interesting, especially in our group, where you kind of see people at every stage, you know, and they have every right at every stage to be proud of, you know, where they are. And if you think that I have an ideal body image for you, I really genuinely don't. My job as a coach is to find the place that provides you the most happiness, right? Rather than what you think might be, you know, happiness. But but I would venture to say of, of the people that I work with, you know, I, I would say no one, you know, is at a place where they're not happy, right? Because um, because I would have addressed it, right? So, so, and, and you get so much further with happiness than you do with hate. Right. And, and I, I think what happens is that if you can kind of address that happiness place, right. And then we can talk about one of the things that makes people happy. Let's say that you have a 300 pound man and I'm explaining to him, you know, how he's going to get to, to 200 pounds, right. That plan might make him happy, right? Because now he's going to execute a plan that provides him the framework, right? 
And I said, and then the last part is we have for the rest of our life to get to the 200. Well, and, and just, I, I just have to say that you get to where you want to go, wherever that is, and you know how to stay there and you know how to then adjust when you need to. So, so you're there and then something comes up or whatever happens and you fall off what your plan is and things are not in your control for a while. You actually know what to do the minute you decide you'd like to take control again. You don't have to now search for the new plan. Now I have to go, I have to find a new book or I have to sign up with a new program. No, you've actually learned how your body works, what to do with it, how it responds. You've watched it happen and you know what to do. And, and that is the ultimate success is no one expects anybody to be perfect forever. Um, you know, life happens and knocks all of us off our game. But to have a plan that you can return to that you know what to do with, you've been taught how to process through these various periods, that is golden. And, and so you know you've been taught how to quote unquote maintain or, or be in your homeostasis phase. You've been taught how to go into a fat loss phase if you want to, and you've been taught how to go into a sort of premium phase when you're, when, you're, when you're in a growth phase. And so understanding that even the most elite of athletes do not cut year round. In fact, we're probably pretty much on a nine month phase of, of can we stay where we are, um, stay you know, maintaining our growth, maintaining um, the, the power and the strength and the speed that we need. And then if we need to adjust up or down, we do that in the off season, which is typically about three months. And so, so the, as I say, you don't have to be an athlete for this to work. This is the best way for the body to, to function and give you the results that you want over time and then be well, and in your situation and in your situation you're not really even talking about a cut right you're really talking about providing them enough energy so that they can recover from you know these really hard athletic seasons but they can still train so you know there would never be a scenario where you're dealing with you know a WNBA star Right. And they're eating 1100 calories. Never. Right. Yeah. And so, so they, their work capacity, and this is, this is another piece that I think is empowering for a lot of people is that the higher you can get your work capacity, the more you can be, you know, where you're not cutting. Right. And, and it allows you to stay weight stable, allows you to still have goals and, and things of this nature. So this is another part of Eat to Perform, I don't think you know. Um, so a lot of people come in as members, right? Um, and then uh, we, we don't offer it that often. We, we've started to, because there's just been so much demand lately, um, but we offer them 
the the opportunity to be a lifetime client, right? Oh, nice. So so when you think about, you know, so here's here was the basis for why we started offering lifetime. Because I thought of us as the opposite of your typical deficit eating type of way of doing things, right? And so a friend of mine, you know, I mentioned her in the past, Tracy Mann from the eating lab at the University of Minnesota, you know, her contention was that the diets were set up for you to fail, especially, you know, uh, Weight Watchers many years ago when there wasn't much competition. I think nowadays there's so much competition that I don't know that necessarily the business model, you know, is to have people fail because they just will do many other diets, right? But I still wanted to be the opposite of that, right? And I wanted to be a home for people, almost like a haven, right? To protect them from dieting incessantly. And so that was the idea of Lifetime, right? The idea was that we would be your solution for Lifetime and that if we could get you to that place, you know, as much as I love it, you know, um, what you often hear about people when they describe eat to perform is you change my relationship with food. You change my relationship with food. And that's great. Right. I love that. That's a, that's, that's, I, you know, for, for many people, that's something that, that, you know, is really important and it allows them to live a healthier life. But why we change their relationship with food is something maybe, you know, not necessarily on the top of mind, right? Because, you know, the, the chemical changes in your brain when you're underfed, you know, are, are negative, right? To the point of making you much more susceptible to depression, how you feel about yourself, you know, all these different things. So that's what those folks are talking about. But from my, from my impression, you know, and my focus is really just having people have the most options long-term. And I'm not saying that nobody ever does a diet ever again, but what often happens for those people is they realize that, you know, they just got impatient or whatever, and they almost always come back, right? Because we're home for them, you know? And, and when you look at the way that our clients talk, it's different. It's different, you know? Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, and so I'm going to finish on, on this note because, you know, and I hesitate to bring this up because, you know, I know many of you listening to this, you know, are, are fearful of eating to perform because you feel you're, broken or that you've dieted so much that you can not be fixed. So I have a client that, you know, she lost a lot of weight, right? And she's been my personal client. She'll never not be my personal client. Like she's a person that, you know, I visited in real life, you know, like, you know, the, the nice thing about what Susan and I do is that there there become relationships with you and where you know you just can't imagine your life without this person, right? And so they're they're friends. And um, you know, it's so funny because like, you know, she'll text me 
during a football game, you know? Um, and so, so, if you, you know, so she has my phone number, right? So we're, we're, we're pretty close, but she, you know, has not lost any significant amount of weight. You know, she's an older woman, obviously lost a lot of weight related to, um, you know, she just needed to, right. To, to survive, you know? And so a big part of, you know, what eat to perform is for her is to make sure that for her workouts, for the things that she does, that she's as healthy as possible. Right. And, um, you know, she would definitely be in the obese categories and things of this nature. And there is still the want to be lower weight, you know, and I get that. Right. Um, and we do make adjustments every now and again, but there's, there's a few things that we talked about in this podcast that need to be addressed in this scenario. First is that through that history of dieting, um, in that, you know, what was a loss of about 150 pounds, kind of a nuclear bomb of 150 pounds, right? To the point where she knows she will never do that again, right? And so when we look at, you know, someone mid 60s, when we look at someone that kind of lost all this weight all at once and, and have just this, like I said, nuclear scenario that most people think that they have, right? If you're 140 pounds, I'm not talking about you, right? And, and if you're, let's say, 220 pounds and you feel that this is the case, I would say that there are people like you that do struggle in that regard. But here's what I think happens in almost all cases in this regard, is they tend to focus a little bit too much on the diet side, right? And so they kind of want to be in fat loss more often. So they never really get to that nine month period, right? And they're mostly in that two month period. Now, if you're in the two month period and you take a diet break for two months and you still lose weight, continue doing that, right? That's working. That's part of the, the grand experiment that we're doing, right? But if you're, 220, right? And you feel stuck. You have to ask yourself, how long have I been dieting? How many diets have I done? Right? And so there may be a point where you have to take a longer diet break. I can think of someone specifically that, you know, I did talk into, you know, a three month break, right? I really wanted a six month break. And here's the interesting part about these people, right? So there's a lot of people that often will go, you know, it's so frustrating. In both the instances that I'm describing, their weight gain on the top end, not, you know, not appreciable by any stretch of the imagination. So you go, wait a second, what you're saying is, is you're pushing their calories and they're not gaining weight. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? 
the problem is what's your North Star, right? And that's my job. Like I can think of the, the 220 person. I'm trying to get her North Star to be different, right? Because I need her North Star to be health, not weight loss. For the other person who texts me during football games and stuff like that, health is her North Star, right? All she's like, all she's wanting to do is live as long as possible. Now, you might look at her and say she, you know, is going to struggle getting a good blood reading or getting a good thing related to a doctor because she's obviously, you know, in the obese category. Well, you might be surprised, right? Because, because she has a heavier frame, she has more muscle than almost all of you listening to the podcast, right? Her body just is the best resistance tool that you have. And so, so that part makes her a little bit healthier. So when she goes for blood work, her blood work's actually fine. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because isn't this really all about health or is it just about being five pounds lower or 10 pounds lower or whatever, right? Because I can show you person after person that is 200, 220 pounds, they go get their blood work at the doctor and they're doing fine, right? Because they're active, they're eating mostly whole foods in good amounts, their sleep is good, all the things that's really about health. So I know a lot of you, you know, and we know this is from the scientific side of things, that people that weigh more tend to avoid the doctor more, right? My clients don't, right? Because their results doctor-wise are good. Now, sometimes you get a doctor that's overly opinionated, you know, and wants these people to do drastic things, right? And that's another part, like is, is, is the person broken per se, right? Or is something physiologically wrong that doesn't allow them to lose weight, but doesn't allow them really to gain weight appreciably either? Kind of not the point, right? The point is really health, you know? And, you know, but if I was to look at it and go, why might someone struggle at the higher weights, you know, what we know is many of them, you know, actually dieted much more than lean people. Like, you know, most obese people, it's not their first diet rodeo, but they might be dealing with like meniscus issues. They might, they might have torn their ACL. They might, they, you know, degradation of joints, things of this nature. So the tools that 160 pound female or 180 pound male might have compared to a female that is 250, you know, to say 300 for a male, just they're going to have to adjust, right? And some of those adjustments might allow for diminished capacity. And that could actually be a big part of the reason why they might have to find health at a higher number. Right. But 
the point of this, you know, is that, I mean, we have what, 5,000 active clients right now, you know, with Lifetime, there's even a little bit more. I'm talking about five people, maybe 10, like if I really expanded it, right? But many of you listening to this think, is he talking about me, right? Well, there's one way to test that. Push the high end as much as possible, right? Don't default to the fact that, you know, you're not of the ability to chase the healthiest version of you because maybe your weight's higher. You know, there's a lot of 160 pound people who kind of think that they're, you know, broken or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I just don't see it, right? It's not common. Um, there are certainly, you know, lots of things that can happen for older women, you know, that respond well to HRT, you know, hormone replacement therapy, things of that nature. I'm an advocate of that. I assume, you know, Susan is, but I think, you know, she said in the past, and I agree with that, you know, and, and I've talked about this openly on the podcast. I am also on hormone replacement. I do testosterone replacement therapy. But what I can tell you after being on testosterone replacement therapy, it's not the panacea that you think of when you see all the, you know, Frank Thomas commercials on ESPN, right? It's a process of sort of figuring out what works for you. And I'll give you an example. For me, you know, we had my testosterone a little bit higher and there were some, some issues um, that I really don't want to get into, but there was, there was, there were some problems. And so we lowered the testosterone and not only did I feel more energetic as a result, my sex drive was better as a result. It was just a better fit. Right. And so what I think happens a lot of time with, you know, any kind of hormone replacement is that people want what they want with dieting. They want an answer immediately, right? And initially, I will say, you know, it was pretty astronomical, the effect that it had on me. But after three to six months, my body started to adjust, mm -hmm. you know, to not producing testosterone on its own. And we had to make adjustments and we're still making adjustments to this day, right? And so just like the process that I'm describing related to eat reform, just like the process I'm, I'm describing, if you ever go down the path with hormone replacement, I'll give you an example. If you do hormone replacement and you're doing eat reform, you're likely to be optimized, right? If you do hormone replacement and you're doing yet another long-term deficit eating cycle with many of the other companies out there, you're kind of working against your body's basic ability, right? And and it's not it's not helpful at that point, right? At that point, you're really just seeking out something that um, is a little bit more superficial, you know. Um, and I I you know I'm thinking of a client right now that you know I think she started with us at 260, um, and she's thrilled 
at 220, like I said, goes to the doctor. She's not really that all that motivated to be 180, right? Um, and and I love that for her. I love the fact that she, um, for her family, you know, what impact does all of this have on your kids and all these different things, right? And and if it sounds like you know this paradigm is just a big shift for a lot of people, it really is. But it's not really just about ads. It's not really just about you know being you know the star of the U.S. women's soccer team, right? It's it's a lot of the time you know about just being the you that makes you the happiest, right? But if you just chase weight loss, thinking weight loss will equal happiness, I will tell you that if you chase happiness, you're more likely to reach weight loss goals than you will be, and your weight loss goals will change as a result, um, than you will be if you lose a lot of weight and then, you know, you're still dealing with a lot of the other issues because you didn't chase the happiness first, right? So I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, hopefully people found this sort of entertaining. Um, I definitely want, you know, if you're looking at a, a, a note on leaving, I want you to seriously think about what I said in this last part. I mean, we've seen thousands and thousands of clients right? There's very few people that don't respond to what we're talking about. And even when they're not responding, it's a much more healthful life, right? And, and, and they, would, they would mention that, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the one lady that, you know, came from us from deep, deep dieting for a long period of time, you know, I'm, I know I can get her where she wants to go, right? But what, what I don't know is that she's going to give me the rest of her life to do it, right? And, and that was always, that was always, that was a, you know, that was always a, a thought process that I had when I, when I first started. That's the basis for lifetime, right? We'll figure it out. Just, you know, let's, let's take some time and let's start from a place of love and happiness. Right. All right. Sorry. I dominated this one. Um, but you know, I really, I really wanted everybody to hear specifics. You know, I wanted everybody to hear, you know, kind of the process that it goes to, because it's not just about, you know, if you're an eat performer listening to this, there's a lot of people that aren't eat performers you know, and then they're kind of beating their head against the wall. And hopefully this gives them a little bit more insight into what they can be looking for. All right, Susan, um, any last words before we say goodbye? No, I think you've said it all, Paul. <laughs> yes, I, I do actually think I did in this one. So I appreciate everybody listening and uh, we'll uh, talk to you real soon. Bye now.